Isn't that a beautiful song? Seth Prim wrote that during COVID, and the JBU and U of A choirs came together to perform it at uh, Hunt Chapel and Rogers, and uh, moves me every time. I've seen that thing a dozen times, and uh, I'm always drawn into the message. Um, do y'all want to sing it for us? Thanks. No? Okay. These are my friends Eric and Beth Alm, and Eric and Beth are part of our congregation uh, in the sense that they are global uh, workers through Fellowship Bentonville. And so um, we are their home congregation at Fellowship, and so uh, they're an extension of our body across the world. Um, and so I don't know how many of y'all know them. I've, I've known them for about a decade. Uh, they were politely asked to leave another country that they were serving in for, for sharing Christ uh, about 10 years ago, how many years ago was that? 15 years ago. 13 years ago. They moved back to the States and then lived two doors down from Sarah and I, so we got to know them well. They were here in the States for five years, and then they've gone uh, to Southeast Asia. And so want to introduce them to you, you to them. And uh, so Beth, share a little bit about y'all's family and uh, this season sure. of life. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be with you guys. Lots has changed, I think, since we were plugged in here regularly. We've been gone more than we've been here the last eight years, and um, we have three children. Uh, our oldest, Mesa, will be a senior this year. Jaden is going to be a sophomore, and our youngest, Isaac, is going into sixth grade. And um, like he said, we've been overseas now for eight years. Five of those years, we were living closely among our focused people group that we were serving. I was homeschooling the kids, um, and we started seeing some, some concerns and flags that gave us pause to reconsider if a move might be in place. Um, and so we, two years ago, transitioned and moved to another island, and we are in the same city now as our teammates, Bobby and Beth Stottle. And they were up here a few weeks ago sharing uh, with you guys and enrolled our kids in the same school with their children, and it's been a huge blessing for us as a family, for our kids, um, just educationally, emotionally, socially, in all ways. And so we continue to focus um, on the people group. Nothing has changed ministry-wise in that regard. We're just doing it from a distance now. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, Eric, share a little bit about y'all's ministry vision and heart and, uh, yeah, just what you see God doing it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe that it's, it's really been about 25 years now um, that, that God began to, to show us all around the world. There are millions and, and, and really billions that have no access uh, or little access to his good news and to Jesus. And that, that changed us. Knowing that, that changed us and it, it sent us uh, kind of in the, in the direction of these people. And so we were six years from 2003 to 2009 in a little island nation in South Central Asia. Um, and then we were back here, um, like Abel shared, we had some an interesting exit from there. But uh, back here and plugging into to this, this city and this area and, and, and fellowship and really became family um, with this place. And then it was this church that, that helped send us again as God stirred our hearts again to go to now Southeast Asia just a little bit further to the east, and a, a nation about 10 times the size. And there, there we, we've been for eight years. And if I were to sum up what we desire to see or do um, in just a few sentences, it would be to really equip and serve local people, um, to, to reach those that, it's their, it's their neighbors, it's those around them. But they're, they're a, a believer there is a, a minority, 
And so they, they are not part of the majority religion, and we want to help them. They have a passion to reach their people. What we can best do is serve them in that, help them build bridges, and, and help them maybe learn some new paradigms so they can better uh, reach and, and, and uh, see their people know Jesus as well. So that's, that's really what we try to do day in and day out, and we're just so thankful to be sent by this body. Um, we hope to get to know some of you as an opportunity uh, later on today. Yeah. Was gonna share about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's exciting. It's a blessing to be a part of y'all's work uh, across the nation. It, it is uh, funny to see Eric uh, serve over there, the, the place where they serve, uh, the, not known for the stature of, of people. And Eric looks like Gandalf in all the photos, all the photos. It's amazing. Uh, I always like that. Um, so if you would like to get to know Gandalf, Abel would, Abel and would fit in totally there. <laughs> yeah, he would, I do. He would be perfect. I'm a giant over there. Let's be honest. I like, yes, I dunk on people uh, over there. Um, so if you would like to get to know Eric and Beth, they will be at the resource booth after this service. And then at 4 p.m. today in the other building upstairs in a room called, we call the great room, they're going to be uh, sharing the, more extensively about their uh, ministry and vision and encourage y'all to get to know them, pray for them, support them financially. Uh, they uh, only come here for a short amount of time every couple years and are uh, regularly looking for partners, um, and, and they're great. They're, they're worthy of investment. So let me pray for them, and, uh, and then we'll go on. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity, um, just the gift it is. And the blessing it is to be used by you. It's humbling and it's an honor that you choose to use us to share your good name, to share who you are with, uh, with people, both here in the U.S. and abroad. Lord, pray for the alms. Pray that your spirit would continue to work mightily in and through them. Pray you draw them closely. Uh, just draw them close to your word. Um, give them people to encourage and bring people around them to encourage them. And we just trust you um, with their lives and thank you for them. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you did not pick up a communion on the way in, raise your hand. Our ushers will, um, will bring you one and you have to raise it high because everyone is going to stand up and greet one another, give a high five, a handshake, a hug, whatever's appropriate. And... Uh, Raise your hand high. All right. Stop being so friendly. Y'all trying to figure out if I'm about to lead worship right now? Yeah? Don't know if you should sit down. I am not Mickey. I don't preach and sing. I can only do one of those. Um, feel a little weird that we're not moving into a couple of songs? Throwing you off? 
You're going to be okay, all right? I promise. Uh, we are talking through the disciplines, really, of worship, but worship and celebration this morning. So I asked the team if I could have the front half uh, of the morning so that we could have an extended period of worship together at the end. So yes, we are 10 minutes in and diving in. So take a sip of coffee, a deep breath, whatever you need, uh, but we're going to get into God's Word. So let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting us here. Father God, we love you. I'm just so grateful for you and ask that as we gather this morning, you would open our eyes, uh, open our hearts, our ears to see you, to hear you, to experience you and the things that you're doing uh, in us, but also in those around us. As we offer this morning as a sacrifice of worship together, pray that you would teach us and encourage us and unite us as we seek you. We love you. Amen. Uh, feels like each week we have quite a few new people who are coming to Fellowship Bentonville. So if that is you, my name is Hunter, and uh, I'm on our community team and on the teaching team. And we are in an 11-week summer series. We're on the kind of tail end of it, uh, going through spiritual rhythms or spiritual practices. And uh, the reason is because as Christ followers, we want to experience spiritual formation. As a reminder, this is the definition we've used all summer, that spiritual formation is the Spirit of God forming the people of God more and more into the Son of God's likeness. So there are a lot of tools that we can use at our disposal to help with that, to help uh, unite us to see God and experience Him. And so that's what we've been studying. We've been keying in on one or two each week, and about half of these help us unplug and create space to be able to see and hear God more clearly. And then the other half help fill that space uh, and engage him. And so we don't want just slower paces and clearer minds. We want to fill it with the things of God. And so worship, which we're covering today, is on that filling, that engaging uh, end. And when you hear the term worship, uh, you probably think of what happens here on a Sunday morning, what, what you expected to happen while I'm standing up here, Right? wanted to enter into song with our worship team. And that is not only an aspect, but a very key aspect of it, one of the ones that we'll focus most on. But worship is also more general uh, than that. In fact, worship in general, apart from you know, even Christianity, would be described as when we see the magnitude or, or significance of something, we respond, okay? Our, our hearts, our minds, our bodies respond based on something grand that we've seen. A general example of that for me, Bentonville Fireworks Show. I love it. We get as close as we can every year. They moved in on us this year, but we knew. We were 200 yards from launch point, and having three kids, like it is one of the most miserable nights ever, mixed with joy. We pay for it forever. Uh, but two of them actually slept through the whole thing, which I don't understand. But, you know, a couple hundred yards away, there is nothing like the finale of a Bentonville Fireworks finale. Uh, that 60 seconds for me, my body does things. I scream, I laugh, I giggle, I make noise. People are staring at me. I don't care. But when I see the magnitude of it, it just lights me up. And all I can do is worship in a way. Like I'm just responding based on what I've seen. From our Christian perspective, worship is when we see who God is and the magnitude and the beauty of who he is, and we respond with our bodies, with our voices, with our hearts, 
when our eyes are on Jesus, it only leads to one place, and that's worship. When we see him clearly for who he is, it leads us to worship. Often that can look celebratory, like me at fireworks, right? Um, not always, but often uh, it can, especially in corporate worship. We will be celebrating here in a few minutes. But celebration is actually a little bit different. It's key to all of the disciplines. And Richard Foster explains that. We've referenced him a lot, his uh, book on spiritual rhythms uh, called Celebration of Discipline. And he keys that word even in the title because he says this, celebration is central to all the spiritual disciplines. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. Without joyous celebration to infuse the other disciplines, we will sooner or later abandon them. And some of you may have already even experienced that this summer, that you're trying some things, but it's just not landing. And his key is that it's, it's joyful celebration that infuses life into all of them. So celebration is that joy that we choose, and we work it into different aspects. We do work it into worship, but worship isn't always celebratory. There have been times in my life where my worship was more tears and a heart conversation with God that I couldn't even explain more than it was outwardly proclaiming with joy and happiness. But based on our definition of worship, here's what it looks like linearly. When we see God appropriately for who he is, when we read about him, when we see what he, what he does, we respond accordingly. And our response is often a great gauge or a reflection of where our heart actually is and the ways that we actually see who God is. So when we get a word from Scripture, we get an answered prayer. When the infinite becomes visible to us in some aspect, in some way, that response can't be contained internally. God's presence, his attributes, his glory, his love, his justice, they necessitate a response from his creation. And so something to ask yourself that I have to ask myself if people were to interpret God, if they were to see God based on my response in my life, what reflection are they seeing? Like, is he that important? Is he that big? Like, does he actually matter all that much? And the reason we ask that is because we see these things played out in Scripture that we are to see God and respond accordingly. Uh, one of the clearest places we see it are in the Psalms. We're gonna look at Psalm 96 right here. This is a missionary hymn, a missionary psalm of David where he is proclaiming that it's not just the Jewish people who get to see and experience the glory of God. They are special, but even without knowing who Christ is and the work that's gonna be done years and years later, David's proclaiming a word from the Lord that all people are invited to see the splendor of God and the beauty of him. And so he's trying to get not only the people of God, but the people around them, to get their eyes up and to fix their eyes on the Lord. And so he proclaims things about him. He says, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. You'll see that later in the service. Declare his glory, his marvelous works, for he is great, not only greatly to be praised, but greatly to be feared above all gods. He made the heavens, see his splendor, his majesty, his strength, and his beauty, because they're everywhere, all around us. And our praise of anything 
should be in proportion to the magnitude of the object to which we're praising, which means our praise of God is going to be hard to quantify. And what I mean by that is I don't think we can ever praise God too much or with too much joy or too often because I'm going to spend my whole life trying to understand the magnitude of who he is. And I'll never fully match that. But as God's people, we give it our best shot every single day to give him the praise that he deserved as he created all, as we see all these things about him. And when David's highlighting these things, he doesn't just give them all this information about God and say, now I want you to just sit and you think about that. All right, just think, don't do anything. No, look at what he says. Let it out. Like, stop holding back. Sing to the Lord. He says sing multiple times. Sing a new song. That's not just the newest song that someone wrote. That's a new experience, a new encounter with the Lord that causes your heart to sing. Not only that, bless his name. Tell of his salvation. Declare his glory. This is who we are called to be, is a declaring people, a declaring people. Because if we say, or if we believe what we say we believe, then that should overflow and burst at the seams of every part of us, into every aspect of our lives. So here's a little mid-sermon application point. You don't even have to wait till the end. It's right here. Figure out a way to work in little phrases or sentences of praise into everyday life. Don't, Don't wait to declare God's goodness till you're here on a Sunday. But when you see him work or you see like his hand of protection or deliverance, just learn to say, man, praise the Lord. Like praise God for that and call it out to declare with worship the things that we see, right? This isn't just for our corporate, corporate worship, but often an appropriate response to the magnitude of God is singing, right? Some of you love that. You love to sing. Some of you are like, I don't like to sing at all. Doesn't matter. God's people are called to sing. It says it here actually a few times. And if you look throughout scripture, it seems that God's people are a singing people, that it's infused into us. Just flip through the Psalms. We see it all over. You may be going, well, those are Psalms. They're songs. They're hymns. Of course we should sing those, but that's not really conducive to everyday life. Let me show you some points of singing in everyday life of God's people. Exodus 15, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea on dry ground that the Lord has split. When they come to the other side, he and his sister Miriam lead the Israelites in song. They don't just say like, great job, God, we did it. They don't just hug. They stop and they sing and they praise him and they mark that moment. Uh, In 1 Samuel, Hannah desperately wants to have a child. And she prays that God would open her womb and allow her to conceive. And she's mocked and ridiculed because she can't get pregnant. God sees her, hears her in that affliction, blesses her with Samuel, her son. And what does she do at the beginning of chapter two? It says said there, but if you look at it, it's a song. She sings. Uh, Later on, 2 Samuel 22, we see throughout scripture as David enters into battles, when he comes out through victory or defeat, he often declares a song to the Lord. We have a lot of those written in Psalms, but it's not just an Old Testament practice. Mary, when she receives the news that she is going to bear the Son of God, the weight of that hits her, and all she can do is sing the Magnificat, 
I will magnify the Lord. Acts 16, Paul and Silas in prison, they turn it into a house of worship and they begin singing. John sees a vision into eternity in Revelation 4 and 5 and what does he see? What does he hear? Singing. Right? Worthy is the lamb. You'll see that in our time of worship this morning. We are a singing people. And the worship of God through song has been happening long before you and I existed, and it will continue long after we're gone. But while we're here, we get to step into that and proclaim his glory in the ways not only that he deserves, but that he calls us to, that we get to participate in. So theologically, um, this was our definition. Here's what it looks like linearly again. Is this wrong? No, not at all. Theologically, this is not inaccurate. This is worship, and this has actually helped me a lot. This is one of the more basic definitions of worship I learned as a kid, and it's helped me that, hey, when I see God, I should respond. But I think it's a bit incomplete, and I've noticed that the longer that I've walked through life, not only as a follower of Jesus, as a believer, but also as a pastor, being with other people, and what I think it's missing is what happens when people come together to worship. Right? There's something unique like you, I've experienced the uniqueness of corporate worship for a majority of my life. And I say like you because I know that. We have it all around us. In fact, during the fall here in a couple months, it will happen most Saturdays about 30 minutes south of here. That a large group of people will gather on a Saturday to worship, to scream, to yell at something that we are watching. And there will be magnitude that causes us to want to high five and hug people that we don't even know, Right? Some of you experienced it last weekend uh, in Kansas City. It felt like everybody and their sister went to see Taylor Swift. Did you know that I, too, am a Swifty? Long before many of you. It was 2009, been dating my wife for uh, two months at that point. We went to our first concert together, and it was Taylor Swift. <laughs> Babies. Got my V-neck fleur-de-lis on. I don't know why. But that night, we gathered with 20,000 teenage girls to sing Romeo Take Me. And uh, it was, in a weird way, a moment of worship. We're all looking at the same thing. We're singing simultaneously. We're excited. Our bodies are moving. Our hearts are stirred of the magnitude of what we're witnessing. And it sounds so silly, but whenever you get into a stadium, whether it's a concert or a sporting event, you get a taste of this, all doing something together. And we know it doesn't stay there. It's not like you just go home and you're like, well, that was great. Let's tuck that away. It goes on posts, social media posts. It comes up in everyday conversations. For years, you tell stories about the things that you experienced with all of these people. It changes your life. And I think it's the corporate worship aspect of that that is so important for God's people, that sometimes we just neglect. We're like, I'm not gonna go this week. I'm tired, whatever it may be. But there's something that happens when we come together to worship. I gotta get that off the screen. There we go. <laughs> and I've realized that worshiping God is much more cyclical than it is linear sometimes. And you see this third thing of, yes, it's worship as us seeing God and responding accord accordingly, but something uniquely happens when we do it Together, yes, it's a worship, worship is a lifestyle, it's individual, it's us with the Lord every day, but don't forget about the power of what happens when we 
come together. In fact, if we look at Colossians chapter 3, you see this idea of the people of God being one corporate people of God over and over. Look at all the plurals as Paul writes this to the church uh, in, here in Colossians chapter 3. As God's chosen ones, bear with one another. If you have a complaint against one another, guess what you are supposed to do, what we're supposed to do? To work that out and forgive each other. That's an aspect of us worshiping, being in harmony, letting Christ rule in our hearts together. We're called to be one body. And then verse 16, as we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, doing what? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Sometimes it's that togetherness that helps me see God, that helps me respond accordingly. This gathering takes all of our individual lives of worship and it merges them together in a moment, in a morning. And I was trying to think of visually, how do I represent that? And so I talked to our media team and they sent me back this graphic and immediately I started giggling because what I asked for was a two rivers merging together. And if you've been part of this series, you know what I see. And it's just a piece of bacon being ripped in half right here and, or a bacon zipper, something. But while... Two bacons are better than one bacon. I hope you can see past that, that this is two rivers merging. And what happens when two rivers merge? Well, understand, they usually come in at different speeds and in different quantities. One's probably bigger. But they merge into one, and it mixes to form one body. And that's what happens when we come in here at different speeds with different things going on. And we merge with all of our circumstances, to be one voice lifting up to the Lord. And when I'm dry, I need you. I need the people of God to sing over me, for me to see God's faithfulness in your life as that changes me. I need to be reminded of those truths. And think about when these rivers, if we were to flip this, when they diverge, what happens? Well, they don't just take, you know, the water from this river stays and goes up there. No, it mixes and they go different ways. And we take things from each other as we leave here and we walk into our world with God, having been filled up by him through his people. And there's so much that happens when we gather together. And we need to be reminded of the why. Why do we do this? Some of us just do this out of habit. We've been doing it for years, but why? Right, not only the things we've said, but I'm gonna give you three more. But if we don't talk about the why, then this just becomes the weirdest karaoke bar ever. And people walk in, they're like, what are they singing? People are closing their eyes, raising their hands, dancing. Like, what is happening? We gotta know the why. So here's three things to encourage you with as we think about worshiping corporately. Number one is it helps keep our eyes up. To worship God, we have to see God. And we need to fix our eyes on who he is before we ever find our place in his story. We We want to know him. Worship is initiated by God. He seeks true worshipers. He says that in John 4. He's the one who initiates his actions and his character on display, and they invite us in to experience the magnitude of who he is. And the words we sing help us remind ourselves and each other of those truths. Otherwise, we forget. They help us fix our eyes on Jesus, but they also help, worshiping together helps unite the people of God. Think about that globally. We've got global workers who are here. There are believers all over the world. So the song to God never stops. Right now, there's someone singing. Somewhere in the world, singing praises to God. And we get to to join in on that. 
Does it have to happen in this room? No. Jesus seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth, regardless of location. But worshiping along others sensitizes us to what's going on in the people of God. I see some of you in here that I know really well, that I know what you're walking through. And so when I get to worship alongside you, our community group, as we process and pray through things during the week and then we come together to worship, that encourages me because I see faithful followers of Jesus, despite their circumstances, lifting up praise to God. That does something to me. There's value in worshiping together for all of us, but especially those of you who may not have family here, may not have people that you're processing spiritual conversations with during the week. You come in here and we become family, brothers and sisters, as we proclaim these things together. So an encouragement at some point in a worship set, maybe even today, stop singing, okay? Not everybody at once. That would defeat the purpose, but just you as an individual, just pause for a minute and listen to the people of God proclaiming truth. Be reminded that you're amidst a body of believers. Stop and listen. Then the third thing, and I think this is so important, is that worship grounds us in all circumstances. It doesn't remove us from them. It's not the point of these mornings. We don't come in here to escape what's going on and hide in a corner and act like it doesn't exist. We come to meet God in the midst of our circumstances. And I encourage you, because I know there's lots of people going through different circumstances, but one of the practices of believers should be attending funerals of faithful followers of Jesus, because it is almost impossible not to worship in those moments as you hear the stories of God's faithfulness and his followers' faithfulness. It happened yesterday in this room. Many of you gathered with us as we celebrated the, the life of Christy Wright, a faithful follower of Jesus who's been a part of our, our body alongside her husband, Billy, and their children for decades, leading in different ways. And not only was yesterday a mix of grief and celebration as she passed away earlier uh, this week, but her whole life and really the last decade was that too. As she walked through cancer, I watched the joy of the Lord overflow out of her in ways that I can't sum up. A grounded faith overflowing in a life of worship. In fact, some of the most intimate times of worship in mine and my wife Alex's life have come in the midst of our most difficult circumstances. And Alex reminded me of the why behind that this week as we were processing. She said, well, yeah, because mountaintops are fun because you get to see everything, but valleys are where the water flows. And that's where life is given. And I want you to hear that, especially if you feel like you're in one of those valleys, that there's water and life flowing in there. And that's where God often meets us, where our vision of him collides with our circumstances, where we choose to raise our arms and shout out praises that we don't even know if we believe, but we're gonna do it. And something happens within us that we can't describe, right? In our spirit, Paul calls it the peace that transcends understanding, and God is spirit, and spirit touches spirit, and he does something to fix our eyes on him. So when we come to worship, we have a holy expectancy that God is going to meet us and that he is going to move, that he is going to answer prayers. We prepare for that. And one of the ways we prepare is with a sacrifice. Do you know you bring a sacrifice to worship? You know what it is? David called it out in Psalm 51. 
It's no longer a goat that you have to carry on your back. He says, a broken and contrite heart, God, you have not despised. That's what God wants from us now. That is the sacrifice when we say, God, you have my heart. Teach me. I want to worship you. And as Jesus is walking to the cross to make that atonement so that we don't have to carry goats in here, sheep in here, as he's making his way there, he reminds us something about worship. This is the triumphal entry as he's heading to Jerusalem in Luke 19. It says this. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God. They're worshiping out loud, visibly, with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Worship is taking place on this road. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell them to shut up, rebuke them. This is inappropriate. They're saying things about you that they shouldn't. And I so badly wish I could see Jesus's face right here. Y'all probably know this line, but he says this to the Pharisees. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. That if my people stop, my creation's gonna pick it back up. Which tells us that not only will you worship something at every point in your day, we all worship something, but something or someone will always be worshiping Jesus. And let it be us. Right? We don't default to stones or to rocks. And we don't have to hear them because the people of God will praise Jesus. And I may not have a lot of Pharisees that I know of telling me to stop praising him, but I got a lot of voices in my head telling me why I shouldn't the circumstances I'm walking through, the problems within me or around me, keeping my eyes off of him. But I don't wanna default to rocks. Let it be me. Because if what we believe is true, then Christians should be the most joyful, full, lively, free people that exist. And it should flow out of every aspect of our lives, not just in here, but as we live because we let our praise match the magnitude of our Savior. Amen? All right, I need to be done. Uh, not, not because I'm over time, which I always am, but it's been a week for me, if I'm being honest, a week of heavy ministry stuff, which has made me crave this moment, a moment to gather with God's people who I know are walking through thousands of different circumstances, to gather in one voice to worship, so I wanna encourage us to do that. We're, we're setting aside the rest of the service to be able to join in together. Uh, Noah and I, this is Noah, uh, are in a men's group on men's Wednesday mornings with Carter. Hi, buddy, he's in the back. But we were processing this week about worship and the value of worshiping together. And Noah knew he was leading. He was like, dude, I get so amped up when I get to lead worship with a choir, right? Because we have the voices declaring we can hear them singing. And I feel that way too, and I'm reminded, we have a choir every single week, right? It's us. We just have a few on stage today representing us. But this time isn't just for good musicians to be able to use the skills that God has given them to create great music. They do that to provide a platform for us to unite in one voice to lift praises to God. That's why we do this. To be one voice and to praise him. So would you stand with me?
I want to encourage you to, yes, sing, yes, be quiet, yes, worship in whatever way that looks like. I can't begin to understand every circumstance that's coming in here, but Jesus meets us in all of them. So I want to pray or read Psalm 34 over us as we move into this time. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord, nothing else. So let the humble hear and be glad. And oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together.
Let's read this scripture together. It is a scripture of the greatness of our God. It is a scripture that challenges us to celebrate his goodness. So I'm going to ask us today not to just read the words on the screen, but can we make this our worship? Can we make this our celebration? In other words, can we say it like we mean it? Let's say it together. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness.
Yeah, that's celebration right there, friends. 
We can celebrate and worship because he's already won. I don't always know what he's doing, but I know what he's done. I love that line. I know what he's done. You know what he's done. Let's grab our communion up. This is how we know what love is, what he did. So Psalm 96, we've been living in it. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. That includes all of us for sure. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. And that's what we get to do along with the church down through the ages, the church across the world today that take this bread and take this wine every week or every month, <laughs> as it may be. But every time we do it, we proclaim salvation. On the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it. And after giving thanks, he gave it to the disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. And after supper, he took a cup. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. description in 1 Corinthians, the very next line, the last line of that says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the good news, the salvation that is found in the death of our Savior and the resurrection that's found in his resurrection. This is the good news. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For your sacrifice, for your, your worship to the Father, the laying down sacrifice of your body. Jesus, you are beautiful. Help us to see you for who you are.
gift it is to worship with the body. Thank you all for leading us. Girls, thank you all. Excellent, excellent. What a gift. Last service, we got to worship through baptism. Uh, Grant and Laura Souter, uh, mom and a son, were baptized. And uh, it was a gift. Grant's obedience in baptism honestly led to his mom getting baptized. She was sheepish about getting baptized as an adult. She came to faith as a high school student, but um, Grant saying, Mom, I want to get baptized. She started thinking about it, and uh, they were baptized together. So it's, it's a great way to worship. And this week, um, how are you going to worship this week? Maybe you've got a, a, re- a relationship to reconcile. Maybe you've got some confession Maybe you have uh, something, a relationship at work or at home. Um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And let's be worshipers this week as the church. We love you, fellowship. Have a great week.